Imagine a world where innovation knows no bounds. At BAE Systems Fast Labs, we're pioneering advanced technology and defense research, shaping the future of safety and security. Explore our website to uncover a realm of cutting-edge projects, collaborations, and visionary thinkers. Whether you're a tech enthusiast, a defender of freedom, or just curious, Fast Labs is where groundbreaking solutions are born. Join us and be part of the future today. Visit www.baesystems.com slash fastlabs. Welcome to From the Crow's Nest, a podcast on electromagnetic spectrum operations, or EMSO. I'm your host, Ken Miller, Director of Advocacy and Outreach for the Association of Old Crows. You can follow me on Twitter at FTCNHost. Thank you for listening. In this episode, we talk about the congressional defense budget process, uh, where we are today, uh, what we can expect here in the near future, and what we know about some of the EW programs or policies and how they're faring through the process. Uh, for this conversation, I welcome back to the show friends and colleagues Madison Archangeli and Katie Nazaratova from Forza DC, as well as Paul Archangeli, former staff director of the House Armed Services Committee. And as our listeners, many of our listeners know, Forza DC works with AOC to help build our congressional education program on Capitol Hill, um, and they do a fantastic job of keeping us aware of what's going on. So, Madison, Katie, Paul, welcome to From the Crow's Nest, or welcome back to From the Crow's Nest. It's great to have you. Thanks, Dan. Thanks. Thank you. Well, just to get started, you know, I, it's, it's always difficult to to know where to begin because we're it, no matter where you are at in the process, it feels like you're in the middle of what you know and what you don't know. And so I thought it would be good just to kind of lay out some of the timeline, where we're at, some of the important dates that we're dealing with. And, and for our listeners' understanding, we are recording this on Tuesday, June 20th. If all goes well, uh, we are going to be releasing this episode on Wednesday, June 21st. So we're dealing with the current, the third week in June here, uh, June 20th to the 22nd or so. Um, and that's where we're recording. So with that, you know, I want to turn it over to my guests here, talk a little bit about kind of where we're at in the process and what are some of the important dates that are surrounding to give us a framework. Madison, I'll, I'll, I'll turn to you first. Sure, absolutely. So June 21st, will be the full committee markup of the NDAA and the House Armed Services Committee. To get to this point, um, there have been a number of a number of steps in the process. Last week was a mad dash for member offices to submit amendments. Just before, on, on Monday, they released the, the chairman's mark, which is the, the base bill that will be, they will be marking up in the committee and amending with all those amendments that got submitted. They had over 1,000 amendments submitted. Um, the bill in some ways, was shorter than it has been in years past. And so there's been a lot of interest from members to add some of their other priorities that were not included in the chairman's mark. This week is also a busy week because they are doing, HASC is not the only committee marking up. Um, HACD is doing a full committee markup of their defense appropriations bill as well. And also in the Senate, the Senate Armed Services Committee is also marking up their bill this week. That process is closed. They're very lucky because that makes it... (laughs) A little bit smoother than the House process, um, so we don't necessarily we don't know what's in that bill yet because that text has not been released and won't be released until after the markup and it goes to the floor. And when are we looking at uh, the bills, particularly the NDAA? I guess will be the first one to go to the floor in the House. I don't know what the Senate version of that when the Senate's going to take that up. But what are you hearing about the floor action for that? After the July fourth recess, the pause at the second week, third week. 
The week of July 10th is the most likely for the floor action in the House. And the Senate uh, it has time in July as well. So it's likely that they'll pick up the bill in July. But you won't see the Senate release their marks until they set floor time. And just a little bit about, you know, the, the, the floor time. You know, it's, it's interesting because the the Senate and the House have completely different processes. It's pretty easy to say, OK, well, the House is going to pick up the bill or drop put the bill in the House floor on July 11th or whatever, and it'll they'll, ha- they'll be done with it on July 12th or 13th. That's not the case in the Senate. They'll bring it up, but there's a lot of other uh, machinations in the process that could affect the timing and how long it takes. Paul, you know, as, as former staff director of the House Armed Services Committee, you've had to deal with the Senate a lot. Could you talk a little bit about those differences and how maybe frustrating it is to kind of figure out when the Senate is going to be moving? Well, you know, as a former staff director in the House, I find I would find the Senate to be frustrating all the time. Their their process sometimes doesn't make sense to House people, and um, I'm not certain it makes sense sometimes to the Senate people either. But it it does follow a course, and they will. It's a lot of things you can't see behind the scenes. There will be a negotiation to determine if they're going to allow amendments, how many amendments they're going to allow, what amendments they're going to allow if they're going to put them into packages and all that happens in the darkness. So you, so this is happening and you don't see any movement in the Senate until they finally say, okay, we're going to go to the floor and we're going to be on the floor for three days. And we're going to take this many amendments. We're going to take this many votes. And here are the packages that the manager is going to put forward that are going to be amendments that we've already agreed to. And all of that happens at once in the house. All of that is very much transparent. You see the amendments filed with the rules committee, you see the amendments be made in order, and then um, and then they show up on the floor. There's a lot of things behind the scenes where they decide what they're going to on block or not on block, what they're going to block. Um, and by on block, I mean what they are going to take uh, by voice and what they're going to debate. But all of that machinery is a little more public. Now, Madison, you said something very interesting a little bit ago. You mentioned you said that the bill is a little bit smaller than in years past, and so there's a lot of interest in amendments. Talk a little bit about that because, I mean, it, it's, it's I guess, still, I mean, even though there's, we'll get to the, some of the discussion on the funding numbers, but it's a big defense bill. So what is making it smaller? What are some of the, that, that was an interesting characterization. Could you build on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So new majority this year, figuring out running of the machine in in the position of leadership is part of the contributing factor. Part of that is also debt limit deal, put a cap on how much money that they could include. So we saw some things come out of the bill that originally might have been included. And also just uh, the, the defense bill has gotten, and Paul and Katie both know this too, from all, all of our collective time on the Hill, of defense bill has gotten to be unruly and very large. Um, and there is an effort sometimes by some Republicans to <laughs> shrink that bill down and make it a little bit smaller. But, you know, member interests still remain. They still have their priorities that they want to see. And there's lots of op- opportunities for them to add those along the way, including amendments during the markup, amendments on the floor. So I don't know how successful they'll be at keeping it a shorter version of the bill. And how much with the uh, debt limit deal, how much of a difference between the overall spending number of the authorization bill and the, the president's budget request? Do Do we have that kind of breakdown yet? I know like the budget request is oftentimes it groups different things in that the NDAA doesn't always consider, or they might have more in the bill because they, it's an authorization, not the actual probes. But is there a, is there a sense of like how much less the bill is than the president 
president's request for DOD? No, <laughs> we're a little bit early to the, yeah. so we will know that when the mark happens, we'll see the numbers that are released in the house and that'll give us an idea of, of what, what's different. I expect them to be very close to the budget agreement. The, the thing that probably happened was there was a desire to mark above the president's budget and put in additional money as they had in the past few years. They probably went and collected a whole bunch of things then put that into the bill. And then the budget agreement came and they had to take those things back out. And, and it's not like they just put them in and they're gonna take them out. They put some in, uh, they made some cuts. And when they went to take some of that money back out, they probably left some of those things in and, and took out other things. So all in all though, I think it's gonna be very close to the president's budget at least in the House Armed Services Committee. Okay. So let, let's talk a little bit about this uh, this budget deal, the spending cap that was negotiated as part of the debt limit, because that had a significant impact, of course, on the timing of this bill. It delayed things for about a month almost as things were kind of put on hold for this for this deal. So could you talk a little bit about uh, and 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 defense spending has been kind of the the lightning rod for some of the discussion because it really it's the largest piece of discretionary spending that members can affect. So it's it it gets a lot of attention in these types of negotiations. Could you talk a little bit about how that that process unfolded over the last month and and what are some of the implications that it has for the defense bill moving forward? It mirrors what happened with the BCA agreement um, in twenty thirteen. It's very similar in how it played out. There was a desire to reduce overall spending of non-defense discretionary and hold steady the defense budget. That would be where the, that would be the position the the Republicans. It, Republicans actually were split. Some of them wanted to cut the defense budget. Some of them didn't want to cut the defense budget. Some wanted, some wanted to add to the defense budget. And all of that swirled around the idea that they wanted to also reduce non-defense discretionary. In the end, they arrived at a place that is pretty static, but they have, a, they have some experimentation in there that's a little frightening. They say in the agreement that they need to get all of the 12 appropriations bills passed. If they don't pass all 12 appropriations bills, then there will be an automatic cut uh, to bring them back to the FY22 levels, minus 1%. When you say all 12, are you talking like it has, it, an omnibus is still a, a, a or is it an individual 12, which has, I, I don't know when the last time that's happened. I mean, that's been a while, so. Yeah, it's, and that right there is like unlikely. So yes, uh, an omnibus would satisfy the requirement. And, and they have until the end of the calendar year, which, you know, that's a like huge relief. There's a, there's no way that they could get to good by the 1st of October. More likely, they'll take the full time to get to the new calendar year. But um, if they don't, then, then that mandatory cut kicks in. So there's this desire to get something, get it done, and move forward. What we've heard recently is, is that the agreement, which set caps for all of non-defense, discretionary, and defense, are now being treated as a ceiling. And that the Republicans in the House are saying, you know, that's great, good, but we're going to go under that. We're going to we're going to set numbers that are under that uh, agreed number. The, the Democrats feel that that is negotiation in bad faith, and that this could blow up the entire process as they move forward. Remembering that if you start making cuts and if you make any ads, 
then you create disparity along the chain of 12 amendments. And when you get to that last amendment, it's a Ponzi scheme. They don't get paid, right? They're 40% cut when they get to the last bill to move forward in the appropriations process. So, and it's unpassable. So then you're back to the, we couldn't pass 12, so what are we gonna do? I still believe an omnibus is where it's gonna land. Leadership owns that process. Leadership can make decisions by fiat. And that generally is how you would get through something like this. But they're gonna let the appropriators go and try until they get to a point where they can't. And then I think we'll end up with an omnibus at the end of this. Well, and, and, you know, it's interesting that, you know, they give you to the end of end of the calendar year, which seems to be the new deadline for budgets, you know, in, in recent years. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of assumption that, well, we're, we're going to miss October 1st. I mean, you know, 20 years ago, there was actually a fear of what happens if we can't get everything done by September 30th. And now it's kind of like, well, we'll just pass a CR. And it's now December 23rd. That's the real the real deadline that we have to be concerned about. So, but, you know, you mentioned the leader, it, it falls in the lap of leadership. And this is, you know, I was, I was actually talking to Madison last week uh, a little bit, and we were discussing how difficult this leadership, the leadership, I'm trying to think of the right word, but dynamics, I guess, this year, this year, this Congress, then Previous, because you have a small segment of Republicans in the House, uh, I think like eight to ten, that can really throw a wrench into all plans that the the Republican leadership in the House are are negotiating with the Democrats, and it makes it a really difficult time because it's typically the House's majority rules, but you don't necessarily have a majority in the traditional sense because you have this small band and you have a very slim majority to begin with. You have a small band that can really throw a wrench in. Could you talk a little bit about some of that? Because I have a feeling that if you're if you're talking about the leadership is going to have the omnibus control at the end of the year, that band of eight to 10 on the right in the Republican Party is going to have a significant pool and in, in a significant voice in how this irons out. I, we're also seeing that already with NDAA. You know, I think there's this realization that they're going to need about 30 Democrats to support the rule just to get NDAA on the floor for consideration. Because to your point, there is a small group, and especially in the defense space, there's a small group on both sides of the aisle um, that is willing to take the bill down and don't care. They're willing to shoot the hostage. It's not, they, they it does not matter to them. It'll be interesting to see how they navigate this because there's going to be priorities on the Republican side that are non-starters for Democrats. And there's going to be issues on the Democratic side that are non-starters for Republicans. And so how do they come together and reach this agreement and get the bill passed? I think you're also going to see all of that played out in the appropriations process as well. Because, I mean, some of these issues are things like abortion, you know, diversity and equity. All of those things are still going to be happening out in the defense bill and also in the appropriations process and in an omnibus. So... It'll be interesting to see how they navigate it this year with with the NDAA and see who supports what and where that crossover occurs. Hello, everyone. I want to take a short break to thank BAE Systems Fast Labs for their continued support for our From the Crow's Nest podcast. I am pleased to be here today with Bill Watson, Chief Scientist at BAE Systems Fast Labs. Bill, it's great to be here with you. Now, BAE Systems Fast Labs is BAE Systems Research and Development and Production Organization. 
Can you tell us a little bit about Fast Labs as well as your background? Yes, and thank you for having me. A BA Systems Fast Labs is dedicated to innovating, disruptive next generation solutions for the critical defense and intelligence challenges. Of course, electronic warfare is one of our key focus areas, but in addition to that, we also do research in autonomy and AI, sensing and response, advanced microelectronics, communications, and navigation. I've been working in the RF, that is radio frequency research community for over 20 years, a short time in the United States Air Force, followed by specific research and development. My work in the last 20 years has been singularly focused on DARPA research and within the last 10 years at BAE Systems Fast Labs specifically. Technology we work on spans sensor processing through high-level sense making up to tactical and operational level autonomy and decision-making support. And one of the key differentiators about BAE Fast Labs is the research that we do uh, is intended to find its way to benefit the warfighter. This has been an important topic through many of our recent episodes here on From the Crow's Nest. Can you talk a little bit more about that technology? And for our audience, how does it change or affect our EW capabilities that we're trying to field? In our work with leading uh, DoD customers like DARPA or AFRL, we focus on developing technologies that will uh, advance future solutions from overcoming today's challenges to developing technologies never before thought to be possible. We then transition our technology to feelable products to benefit our warfighters through partnership with BA Systems Electronic Systems product lines. As a specific example, I thought I'd use a movie you may or may not be familiar with. It was called Battle Los Angeles. It was from 2011. And in that movie, aliens it had invaded. And what the characters in the movie found is that whenever they keyed their microphones on their radios, they could be easily geolocated and targeted. What the movie presented as science fiction for us is, in fact, science fact. This is the type of technology that we work on and exist today where the physics meets the real world. This sounds like absolutely fascinating work. What is the next area that you see for research and development? And if anyone is interested in learning more, how can they reach out to you? Well, we can't say too much because of the sensitivity of our work and classification levels. But in Fast Labs, we are always working on the future state. No matter what the future threats are, we will continue to focus on solving the hardest problems to benefit the warfighter. If you're interested in more information about Fast Labs, you can connect with us on our website at basystems.com slash fastlabs. Well, thank you, Bill, for joining me here on From the Crow's Nest. And now it's time to get back to our show. So I, I want to bring in Katie. She's been patiently sitting there uh, as, as we're talking here. And I think we have her. I, I, I know that she was having some technical difficulties, so it wasn't in, an intentional oversight on, on our end. But uh, Katie, you know, I wanted to come come back to you because, you know, we've worked together for several years, even before, you know, Forza DC came on because of your time on the Hill with Congressman Rick Larson, EW Working Group. One of the challenges that we've always had with the in the EW community um, when we get into the defense budget process is, you know, at least in the last 10 to 15 years, is these automatic cuts, because it seems like whenever things are automatically cut across the board, um, a lot of times, you know, we have a hard time sustaining key priorities for EW because simply we don't understand it from a congressional perspective. Uh, we've been working on that with the EW working group over the years. Uh, could you talk a little bit about from an EW working group perspective, although you do not represent them. We do not represent them. They are their own congressional body. But just to that education side, how important it is 
for Congress to be aware of. When we talk about cuts, we're not just talking about a number. That number means something in terms of programs and something gets cut. Um, and we have to make sure that those cuts are smart. Otherwise, it's across the board and everything gets hurt. So talk a little bit about some of the, how Congress deals with that, Armed Services Committee deals with that, if, if, if you can. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a pretty big question, so I'll try, I'll try to answer it. But there's always an effort from one side or the other to cut defense spending. The defense bill is huge, right? Like, it funds an extraordinary amount of money for the Department of Defense and the Department of Energy and whatever else is under it. So um, usually across the board cuts, cut, you know, programs that people generally like, like say, like even military housing or, you know, healthcare programs or something like that. If you do an across the board cut, it's really hard to justify for a lot of people, especially on the House Armed Services, to support something like that. And then there's I and then depending on the cycle, it's also if certain programs, for example, EW, don't get a lot of um, attention in the bill policy wise or anything like that, it's harder to justify to not cut those programs if they're not seen as important by policymakers. What's good, um, I think, at least in this year's NDAA as well as last year's NDAA and through the efforts of AOC and the EW working group. EW and Directed Energy this year and AI and all these other programs are getting a lot more attention, uh, getting a lot more uh, airtime on uh, during hearings and members are asking really good questions. I mean, there's the whole spectrum issue um, that gets brought up continuously this year as well. So people are getting more and more smart on it. So EW is gaining importance and is less likely to be, you know, on the chopping block than maybe a couple of years ago. And kudos to Forza. You did a fantastic overview of what's in the bill through uh, the uh, subcommittee marks, you know, that we know of. Um, And I, you know, for our listeners, I'm going to we're packaging that up and we're going to get that out in a in a readable format here in in, in next few days. Um, So. What we reference here for the next few minutes, you, the listeners will get a chance to read some of the stuff that you, you know Forza put together for us, some of the overview. But I was I was really fascinated by it. Like there is a lot of really good report language and bill language in the bill in the in the uh, in the House version that which is the only one we really have information on right now uh, in the NDAA. Uh, a lot of really good information, particularly you know with uh, just looking down here, you know. Right at the beginning, you know, there's some discussion about electromagnetic spectrum operations, sensing capabilities, and then you know some some work with uh, Naval Air Warfare Rapid Capabilities Office and so forth. A lot of good stuff in the city subcommittee. That seems to be the committee where a lot of the stuff goes through. Um, but I do know that there's you, you know if you go through there's there's uh, tactical air land forces. There's a whole lot of subcommittees. Can you talk a little bit about some of the stuff that really kind of jumped out to you? Directed energy, China, and so forth, uh, where there's some stuff in the bill that our community really needs to be paying attention to. Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of hit it on the nose with some of the um, the stuff that's in there specifically on expansion of electromagnetic spectrum sensing capabilities was pretty big. And then there's language for the creation of the Naval Air Warfare uh, rapid Capabilities Office. And then, yeah, a whole slew, I w- or not a whole slew, but at least like two big uh, areas of 
directed energy. There's report language on uh, counter-directed energy weapon executive agent. There's uh, another one on the operational assessment of installation of defense using directed energy capabilities um, against unmanned aircraft systems. So, and then a number of China provisions, although I think when Madison and I were looking through that and looking through AI as well, maybe because, you know, the bill is skinnier or smaller, um, there wasn't as much as there usually is. And uh, I think that probably means there may be more coming for amendments because these things are often a little bit more controversial or they need, you know, an okay from an outside committee. And so that might mean it needs to be an amendment um, or, you know, members need more time to get the okay from, you know, the Foreign Affairs Committee or the Science Committee or something like that. Yeah. And to that point on China, Reb Gallagher has said he is the the, cha- the re- Republican lead on the China Select Committee. And he has said he's really interested in finding avenues for the recommendations that are coming out of that Select Committee and including them in NDA and moving them in that way. Because um, NDA is the bill that is most likely to move, so yeah. we're going to see and, more. And 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 the China issues, we pivot to at least in these bills, we see it seems like we're pivoting more to China um, because a lot of what's going on in Ukraine, you know, we're doing through emergency funding and 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 different uh, packages, more in short term bits and pieces. But these bills seem to want to take some more attention to pivot toward China some of the longer range plans. I can imagine that, I mean, that's a huge, it's it's not, it, it affects an all of government approach. So you're going to end up, it's going to be something that almost every committee, you know, when it, the bill comes to the floor, every committee, every member, no matter whether they're, they're on the armed services committee or not, is going to have something that they're going to want to attach to this bill because it, it does touch everything from energy, commerce, telecom, so forth, spectrum, just management in, in, in general to actual military capability. So it, it's interesting that it's so thin now, but I, if I understand you correctly, that's kind of signaling that it's going to be really big down the road. It's not thin because it's not an attention, it doesn't have the attention of Congress. It's that Congress is going to pay a lot more attention to it in a few months. They just don't have it in the bill. I think I would. Right. And I mean, I Oh. Sorry, Paul, but um, I think you're probably going to say something along the lines that I am. <laughs> but I think this just opens up kind of the opportunity for members to, you know, put in more and more amendments. And so the committee is going to see a lot of things debated, a lot of things on block. There's going to be opportunities for members that are not on the House Armed Services Committee then on the floor to kind of do the same thing. So I know for at least as long that, you know, I worked for a member that was on a House Armed Services Committee. Members beat their record of amendments submitted every year. So I can only imagine with a smaller bill, the number that the committee's having to go through this year. The number increased 10% every single year. This year, they had a thousand amendments filed already in the committee in the House, 500 in the Senate. I think the number on the floor will be close to 1,500. And it's just a fact that If you limit the size of the bill at the start uh, because you want a small bill or because you're a new majority and you're you're still learning the machine, it's a balloon. You're pushing in on one side, it's coming out on the other because there's that demand is there regardless of whether you include it or not at the start. So uh, just you know a a little bit of a game because we're we're almost out of time here. Today's the twentieth that we're recording. 
the markup, in, the full committee markup in the House begins Wednesday? Yes. The 21st? 10 a.m. Okay. 10 a.m. All right. So I'm going to go down the line here. Madison, Paul, Katie, when do you think they adjourn the committee mark? <laughs> and I'll think of some sort of prize that we'll, in a future episode here. We'll, we'll mention who won. But when do you think the committee adjourns with the full markup complete? <laughs> Yeah, I want Paul to go first, so it can. You know, well, he's got a little bit of an un- he's got a little bit of an unfair disadvantage because he ran this for so long. But I asked but, him this yesterday, and he didn't he didn't give me a number, so I'm not going to be cheating when I give mine. <laughs> All right, so 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 Madison, you you go first. When do you when do you think? So last year was seemed early, two thirty in the morning seems a little early. I'm going to go with like the the next the day. next day. I'm going to go with okay three forty five. 3.45 a.m. On Thursday. Thursday morning on Thursday, the 22nd. All right. Paul? Uh, new majority struggle, and they either end really early, like I did when I was in the majority, or really late, <laughs> like I did. And when I was in the majority at 7.30 was a record. Um, I'm going to, I think they're going to struggle. I think it's going to be probably around 5 a.m. 5 a.m. Thursday. All right, Katie. So now now, now your, your loyalties are here. Are you going to go longer than Paul? <laughs> are you going to split the difference between Madison and Paul? Are you going to be ambitious and, and uh, go early? I mean, just for my own self-preservation and hopeful thinking, <laughs> I'm going to say 3 a.m. And, All you right. know, hope for the best. <laughs> All right. So 3 a.m. Katie, you were 345, right? I was three, yep, 3.45. 3.45, and Paul, you're five. I'm just straight up 5 a.m. 5 a.m., all right. I'm a pessimist. So, it serves me well on the hill. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll figure out we'll, fi- we'll figure out who wins. Um, I can guarantee you one thing. I will not be staying up like you to watch how this unfolds, so you're going to have to tell me who won, um, and, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll take your word for it. I mean, I, I, love, I love the congressional defense budget process, but I do not enjoy – that portion, because at, at, at really about nine o'clock, it just gets annoying. It's painful. Uh, you know, the, the members, the members yeah. are going back to the office, you know, like whatever, you know, what's what's going on. And, and the staff are just tired and it just gets a little bit tough. So that's when it's that's the best part when they start. Getting angry. You know, that's when well, people get tired and then it's actually probably easier to make deals because they're just like, you know, all right, well, well let's get this done. Um, but anyways, I wanted to, to thank all of you for being on. Um, we'll have you all back on here in a few months once I think really the the House and Senate both deal with their their authorization bills and the appropriators get a chance to put their bills together on the floor. We'll be able to talk a little bit more about where things stand as we approach the end of the fiscal year and, of course, uh, the likely scenario where we end up going to December for the full deal. But hopefully – when we come have you back on, we're not talking any sort of shutdown or anything. I think a CR is more than likely the the, the go-to route. Um, nothing, nothing of an emergency, so to speak. But uh, really, do thank everyone, all of you, for joining me here on from the crow's nest, uh, and looking forward to continuing to work with you here over the next couple couple months as we work on EW programs. But thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Well, that will conclude this episode of From the Crow's Nest. I want to thank my guests, Madison Archangeli, Katie Nazartova, and Paul Archangeli for joining me. Also, don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We always enjoy hearing from our listeners, so please take some time to let us know how we're doing. Uh, That's it for today. And again, you can follow me on Twitter at FTCNHost. 
and watch out for more details on future episodes coming here on From the Crow's Nest. Thank you for listening. Fast Labs, powered by BAE Systems, is at the forefront of advanced technology and defense research, development, and production. They're pushing boundaries, breaking barriers, and innovating for a safer world. Check them out at www.baesystems.com/fastlabs.